Today we're going to talk about a, a very unusual custom, which you surely noticed when you were in shul. And on the surface, it's something that's unlike anything we do all year long. Torah readings are a common occurrence in the Beit Knesset. In fact, they happen four times a week, minimum. On Shabbat morning, on Shabbat afternoon, on Mondays, and on Thursdays. And sometimes there's Rosh Chodesh or there's Yom Tif. There are many times when the Torah is read. Okay, so we have a Megillah reading. The Megillah reading, it, it looks like the Torah. It's parchment. It's written in the same fashion. Slightly different cantillation. But there's something very unusual that happens when we open the Megillah. And I'm going to focus on this custom today. I'm going to start literally from the bottom floor. <laughs> the Altarebbe writes in the Siddur, as instructions, Chai Avadim Likresa Megillah, a person is obligated to read the Megillah, Balayla, to read it during the evening of Purim, and then to repeat it a second time in the morning. And then, the Altarebbe says as follows, Vitzarech Livshet Esa Megillah Ki Igeres. You have to spread the Megillah out like a letter. That's what he says. With regard to his instructions about spreading the Megillah out like a letter, the Rebbe's grandfather, the Shah HaKoyal, points out, and we'll soon see this in greater detail, that there is a school of thought, that we should not open it up like a letter. But instead to leave it rolled the way we do a Sefer Torah. And he quotes a number of sources, which we will soon see, that suggests that the Megillah should be read much like a Sefer Torah, rolled up. And then he quotes other sources, like the Bala Itor and the Tanya Rabasi, who bring down in the name of Rabbi Goen that this is the proper custom, and that is the way we should perform the reading of the Megillah, Minhag And this is the tradition amongst the Jewish people. In the vast majority of Jewish communities, the Megillah is unfolded, not read from the scroll, meaning scrolled up, not held open like a Sefer Torah, but folded. And surely you notice when you're in shul and you're listening to the person reading the Megillah, at a certain point they have to flip the Megillah, and then there's other people in shul, and they have their Megillahs, and they have to flip their Megillahs. And you're wondering, what's everybody flipping Megillahs for? Why can't they just sit like an old person, have a scroll, open your scroll, roll from one side to the other? What is, what is this all about? And just to stay on the ground floor before we go up to the attic, in the Sefer Amman Hagim that was compiled by a number of people under the Rebbe's tutelage in the early 50s, it states very clearly that our custom is that not only does the Balkora, not only does the person who's reading the Megillah have to fold the Megillah in this fashion, but Gam HaShoyimim, those who are assembled, assuming you have a kosher Megillah, so they too should fold their Megillahs, fold them open like an Igeris. Ideally, it should be folded into three, to three portions. So where does this come from? And what does it mean? What does it mean, Ki Geras? Like a letter. What does it mean? In antiquity, they had envelopes. But is that how letters looked? Like this big? What does it mean to fold it as a letter? So before this morning, I really did not know the answer to that question. And by this evening, I think I figured out all the answers. <laughs> and I'm going to share <laughs> eight hours of research with you. So I'm first going to take you back a thousand years. 
to the earliest documented source that I was able to find, and that is the Rif, the Alphas. The Alphas passed in 1123. So he probably wrote this sometimes before his passing. He was the outstanding Torah personality of Morocco, of Fez, and then he went, moved to Spain. So we're going back a millennia. This is the end of the 10th century, beginning of the 11th century. Sorry, 11th, uh, yeah, 11th century. So the Alphas, who essentially took all of the rulings of the Gemara and excerpted them, excerpted the discussions, he just took out the rulings, he brings the final summation of a discussion of how the Gemara is supposed to be read. And he says there's a, a question in the Gemara whether a Megillah should be on its own or the Megillah could be written along with many other scrolls. And you could have the scroll of Old and Nevi'im. So you have to Navi, you have to Navi, you have to Navi, and you just keep scrolling, and then at a certain point you have Megillah Sester, and then you keep scrolling along. Can you or can't you do that? And the Gemara says you can't do that. And then the Gemara says, well, you can do it in private, but not in public. So the Alphas brings down this halacha, and he says, Amr Yechanan, if you're reading from a Megillah that's written, like a Torah, from amongst other portions of the books of the Torah, he says, La he didn't fulfill the obligation. That's just the synoptic form of the Gemara. And then he says, We only said this, If a person is reading the Megillah on his own, then he can go ahead and do that. And then the Alphas adds the following. Rav Ravhai Goen. Ravhai Goen writes, Ravhai Goen was the last of the great Geonim. After his passing, all the major Torah centers in Babylon and Bavel collapsed. So Rabbi Alphas, I mean Rabbi Haigon, the last of the great Geonim, living in the end of the 10th century, he wrote that Minhag the Chazilana, the man, the Karilala Megillah, Koira Upeshet Kegeris. The Minhag that I saw, he says, is that the one who reads the Megillah opens it up and reads it like a letter. That's the way we saw it. Aval Koira, the Koira Chesefetoira, but to read. And to scroll like a Torah, I didn't see this. The Shilta Hagibayra immediately notes that there are other Goinim who said otherwise. Goinim who maintained that in Beis Rabbeinu Bavel, which is the house of the Resh Galusa, and that other, other Goinim had clearly stated that you do read the Megillah like a Sefer Torah. Okay, so now we know, we have it of high Goin who said that I saw that the Megillah is read like a letter and not like a Torah. Like a Megillah, not like a Torah. Why? And what does this mean? Why did he see that? And why is that the custom? Rav Alphas does not offer us any more information. He just simply states, this is what Rav Haigon said. Rav Haigon was the last of the great Geonim. Usually the halacha follows the last one. And that's what we get. I'm going to take you forward about 150 years. The Rambam in Hilchas Megillah, chapter 2, halacha 12, he tells us the following. Minhag kol Yisrael. It is a custom of all the Jewish people. Shahakorah ha-Megillah, that the person who reads the Megillah, Kore, he reads, uposhet, and he spreads it out. Ki igeret, like a letter. And the Rambam adds two words. Laharot hanes, to demonstrate, to show the miracle. Now, I don't know what that means. I didn't know what it means like can he get us. I don't know what it means like a letter. And now the Rambam is adding, explaining, you read it like a letter, not like a scroll, like a letter to demonstrate the miracle. 
I don't know what that means. But that's what the Ramam says. The Magad Mishnah says, yes, this is not a new idea. It's not Maimonidean. Kach, Kosov, Bahalachas. This is written in the Halachas. That's what he refers to the writings of the Rif. This is in the name of Rabbeinu Hai Gorin. Okay. And then the Hagos Maimonis brings down, as the Shilti Gebeider brings down in his commentary on the Rif, he says, however, Rabbi Tzemach Gorin and Rabbi Shrira Gorin and Rabbi Palti Gorin, they maintained that you could read the Megillah like a Torah. Now, so far, what we know from the Rif and from the Rambam is that when you're reading the Megillah, I should have a scroll to demonstrate, so you pull the Megillah out and then you keep spreading it out. Keep spreading it out and that's what it sounds like. Because it's Korah Uposhet. You read and you spread out. You read and you fold. You read and you spread out. But that's not the way we do it. The way we do it is we fold the Megillah first and only after do we read it. Where does that come from? Both the Rif and the Rambam say, Kore, read, uposhet. First you read, then you're spreading it out. So this comes from the Tur. Before I go to the Tur, I just want to tell you that the Rosh, which is another 100, 150 years fo- forward, he did something very similar to the Alphas. He also wrote a commentary on the Talmud, but selecting only the halachic portions. He writes, quote, Kosev, Rav Hai Goen, Rav Hai Goen wrote that we have a Minig, the Chazile, that with the Minig, that with the Chazile, the man, the Kardile, Megillah, the Minig, the Minig, the custom we have seen, is the one who reads the Megillah, is Korah or Poshet. He reads and spreads out. And he does it ki igeret, like a letter. And again, I'm emphasizing. I'm, I'm ashamed to tell you in this. I'm 48. I never knew what this means, ki igeret. <laughs> I was a little boy asking my father, what are you doing? He says, it says like an igeret. Oh, okay, fine. What does that mean? What makes an unfolded scroll more of a letter than a scroll. I mean, I'm imagining that in antiquity, how did they send letters? In tubes. Right? In these, like in pottery. They probably send scrolls. Why would they have sent it as a flat letter? What does it mean, Kitty Garrett? I don't know. That's what he says. Aval Korah Torah, but to read and to roll it like a Torah, we never saw this. The Korban Asano was a major commentary on the Rush. He's like... I don't understand, he says. The Megillah, in Mesechet Megillah, it says in some ways it's like a Torah, in some ways it's like a Megillah or like an Igeret. Because in the Megillah it's called Igeret. But the Gemara calls it a Torah, a scroll. And that's why the Halacha is it has to be written on parchment in the same excuse me, manner of a Sefer Torah. And not only has to be written on parchment in the manner of a Sefer Torah, but that the different leaves have to be sewn together not with cloth thread, but rather with thread that's made of gidin, thread that's made of the animal skins, of the animal veins. So he says, well, I guess it's because it's called Igeret twice in the Megillah. We read twice the word Igeret Hazos, when the Megillah describes the, the scroll that was written, it's called Igeret. So that's why we follow the Igeret business. And I'm saying, I don't know what this means. The Tur, the Balaturim, is the one who took all of the halachot that had been written prior, he took Rosh, Rambam, and Rif, which I read from all three of them, three major halachic codifications, two codifications within the system of the Talmud, the codification of Rambam within a unique and original system, the major difference between the Rif and the Rosh. And the Rambam is Rif and Rosh dealt primarily with Talmud Bavli. They were the rulings of the Babylonian Talmud. The Rambam incorporates all halachot, halachot that are found in Talmud Bavli, Talmud Yerushalmi, in the Safra, Sifri, Mechilta, Anywhere with this halachot, the Ramam creates this full compendium of halachot all the way down to his time. 
And then we have the forerunner of the Shulchan Aruch, which is the Turim. He creates a new system. It's called Four Columns. And the Shulchan Aruch follows these four columns. And he wrote a compilation of Allah. The difference between the Balaturim and the Shulchan Aruch is they only dealt with halacha that is applicable in daily life. They did not deal with offerings and ritual purity, which is a huge section of the Torah that only applies in temple times. The Shulchan Aruch doesn't deal with that. But of course, laws of Megillah and Purim, that's in the Shulchan Aruch. So the Torah writes as follows. Kosev Rav Haizal, Rabbeinu Hai said, Minik de Chazilon, the custom we've seen is the Korile the Megillah, that the one who is going to read the Megillah, listen carefully, Poshet Vikore. Poshet comes from the word in Hebrew, Pashut. You know what Pashut means? Like simple, spread out. Spread out. Poshet, spread out, Vikore, and then it's read. This is different than what we've seen previously. Everywhere else it said, Kore Uposhet. You read and then you smooth out. Which means to say, it shouldn't look like a Torah going from one roller to the next. In theory, you could put the Megillah on two rollers and go from one roller to the next. He says, no. You read it and you keep it spread out. But the Torah says, in fact, you first unfold it, unfurl the Megillah, and after you unfurl the Megillah, then you read it. And you do so, Ki Geret. So he added something very interesting here. But Kesefer Torah, lo chazile. We don't see it like a Sefer Torah. And he brings down the Rav Natrunoi Goin and some of the other Goinim maintained that at the Beit Rabbeinu Shobavel in the house of the Resh Galusa, it was read like a Torah. However, he says, and this is really interesting, Venoagin Bisforad Uba Ashkenaz, which is the two major dimensions of Jew- Jewish people different customs, Sephardic Jews and Ashkenaz Jews. So I don't know who he's talking about in between over here. Maybe the Italian, the Minigo Italki, which is you. Minog Bisfarad, Uba Ashkenaz, Uvit Sarfat, and in France, in case you're not sure, he says, all, everybody follows of Haigoy, which means basically just about everybody follows Rabbeinu Haigoy. I, I, I don't know of the community who doesn't do this. The, Bet, the, the Bach and the Bet Yosef who comment here, the Bach says, look at his language. He did something different. He clarified here and he said, you don't read and then spread it out. You unfold it and only afterwards do you read. And that's the custom. So, and he says, this is brought down in the Chuvas of Rabbi Yankiv Molin, who is the forerunner of Omen Hagi Ashkenaz, that this is the way it's supposed to be done. And he says, this is applicable only when the Megillah is read publicly, not necessarily when it's privately. And he says, individuals who are at the shul, following along in their own Megillahs, do not have to unfold the Megillah. That's what the Bach says. However, we'll soon see, there are others who say, no, you should unfold the Megillah even if you're not reading the Megillah. So really and truly, I am still no wiser. I still don't know why we have to fold the Megillah in this ridiculous way, and nobody's Megillah folds comfortably, and everybody's putting svarim and books, and it's snapping back. It's, it never folds easy. This whole Megillah story is never simple, where it could be so simple. <laughs> Just roll it out. No. Oh, can't roll it. It's almost like bringing everybody to show, telling them they have to be quiet, hear every single word. If you miss a single word, you don't do the mitzvah, and then give all the children noisemakers. Like, how do you expect that to work? It's like, <laughs> like a dafka, you know. Like, but this is how it is. We, we make noise. We drown at Haman. We animate and activate the, the, the destruction of Amalek, and at the same time, yes, we have to hear every single word in order, in order to fulfill the mitzvah. But, but why did you have to make life difficult with this business of the unfolding 
the Megillah. You take a look in the Shulchan Aruch, and the Shulchan Aruch says, this is chapter 690, the subchapter 17, Shulchan Aruch says, quote, Minhag kol Yisrael. This is the custom of all the Jewish people. Kore uposhta. You read it and you spread it out. And the Taz right away says, uh-oh. In the Torah, it didn't say read and then spread it. It said first unfold it and then read. And he says, you know what? That's what we do. That's what we do. So you have to read it out. And here the Shulchan Aruch transcribes the verbiage of the Rambam. And the reason for this is, says, is laharos hanes, to demonstrate a miracle. And I still don't know how that demonstrates a miracle. I don't know why it's an Igeret. I don't know why you have to fold, unfold it like an Igeret or what that means even. And I don't see how that demonstrates a miracle. And then he says, when you conclude, then you roll it up, kula, umavarach, and you make a bracha. If you take a look in the Magen Avram, the Magen Avram says that afilu not only you unfold what you've read already, not only you don't roll it from roller to roller, not only you read it and unfold it, but even what you're going to, un- to read in the future, which means very clearly both commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, the major commentaries on Shulchan Aruch or Rechaim, Magen Avram and the Taz Magen David, both say the same thing. You don't unfold it after you start to read it, you unfold it before. Very clear, very clear. The, there's a commentary called Prima Godim. The commentary of Prima Godim is both on Taz and the Magen Avram. His commentary on Magen Avram is called Eshel Avram. And he emphasizes that this business is only in the public eye, which I shared with you from an earlier source. It's only in the public eye. And then he says that everybody else in the room doesn't have to do that. However, he says, I have a hard time here in the Megillah. <laughs> he says, so I follow along my, my own kosher Megillah. And he says, I've seen everybody unfold their own Megillahs as well. So we have an origin for the business of unfolding the Megillah individually too. So far, I still don't know why. I don't understand why this is being done. I have, I have, I have language. It has to be like an Igeret. I have language that it has to be Laharo Tanes. Okay, the search continues. How do we figure this out? So, I got tipped off Here's where I started to maybe see some light. I got tipped off to a commentary of the Tosfos Yomtev. This commentary in the Tosfos Yomtev is not a Masechet Megillah. And it's not talking about Megillah at all. This is in, in a Mishnah called Ketubot, which speaks of the responsibilities of a husband towards his wife. There's a whole Masechet that governs the responsibilities of a Jewish husband towards a Jewish wife. And amongst those responsibilities enshrined in the Ketubah is the notion that he has to provide for her. And what happens if he disappears? And she comes to the Beth Din and she says, I don't know what happened to my husband and I don't have any money. This is the times of the Mishnah. There was no bank accounts. So I don't know where his money is. I mean, I have residuals. We have no cash. We're out of cash. What am I supposed to do? So the Beth Din is, per- is permitted to go and to actually sell the residuals. They're basically garnishing the residuals, selling them, and supporting the family. So the Mishnah describes how this is done. What happens if the, if the courts estimated the value of something? The husband comes back 12 months later. 
He says, don't even ask what happened to me. I was captured by pirates. I escaped from an island. He said, okay, we sold your, your properties. You sold my properties? How much did you sell it for? We got a good price. A, you know, that property you had downtown, we sold it for half a million dollars. Half a million dollars? You're out of your mind. I could have sold that for $900,000 any day of the year. I said, sorry. Uh, we, we did our best. This is, this is the estimate we made, in, and we sold it. We needed the cash. So what do you do then? So there's a whole system in place. The halacha says about how we approach the responsibility of selling off properties like this. And one of the things we do is we have to have a panel of experts, people who are known to be knowledgeable about a particular discipline or business. You don't just, somebody can be smart in Torah but does no real estate. You have to have people who know a particular thing and they have to analyze this and have to estimate it. And, and there's, it's possible they should still make a mistake. So the, the Mishnah says, Im asu if they would have made a document in which they analyze something, they can show you the documentation of how they came to their conclusion of what the value of something is, even if they sold something at 50% of its value, the sale is still valid, the sale is binding. And the word that's used there is igeret, a letter. So the Tais Vesyamta says this, he said, what is the Mishnah trying to do when it says, when it says, Igeret? So he says, I'll tell you what it means. Hashtar kori goli This document has to be a public document, a document that everybody knows about, a document that's open. Because he says, Shekain derech Igeret. This is the nature of an Igeret, that an Igeret is not a scroll where things are scrolled away or scrolled up, but rather, it's what they call in English today an open book. Velola satma. This was not done behind closed doors. And there was, a, there was a process. You say, where's the process? How did you come to the conclusion? Did anybody know about this? Was it publicized? And if it wasn't, and if we don't have the clear process mapped out, then the husband says, these people have wronged me. The sale's not a sale. He abrogates the sale. He'll pay, pay him back his money, but he wants his property. So the point here is that it has to be an open document, something that's available for all. And he says, where do we see this? The Tzitzvah Shemtov says we see this, where this is what the Paschim wrote in the name of Rabbi Haigon, that the reading of the Megillah has to be ki'igeret velo krucha. It has to be open, not rolled up, not scrolled up. In other words, what the Tzitzvah Shemtov is doing for us here He's explaining to us now the meaning of an Igeret. Igeret means if, if you're reading from a scroll, that would be the equivalent of a closed book. It's rolled up on this side, rolled up on that side, and you're reading a small portion of it. So it's almost like you're reading a closed book, and when you're reading, you're only seeing what you're looking at right now. But if you open it up, instead of being a closed book, then it becomes... An open book. That's the meaning of ki igeret. Igeret means that this is very public. Igeret means that you don't have to scroll up or scroll down or something is scrolled away. Igeret means that it's wide open. It's interesting. I found in the name of one of the mystics. He said, why is it called Megillah? What does Megillah mean? And he says, Megillah is Lashon Hit Galut. The term Megillah means, comes from the Hebrew word, Gilui, which means disclose. disclose. 
re- reveal, to open up. And he says, Shebipurim, on Purim was nitgale, it became revealed, Eich Hashem Yisbarach Manegateva, the way God is in control. If there's a lesson we could see from Purim, is nothing is by happenstance. Everything happens in a carefully choreographed way, and ultimately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is pulling the strings. So when you look at the Megillah, it looks like Esther. And Esther, the word Esther, which is a Persian name, comes from the notion of concealment. In Persian, it means Astahar, which means Venus. She was a star. But in Hebrew, the Gemara asks, Esther min minayin, where do we know Esther from? And the answer is, it says, haster, aster, I will conceal my face on that day. The Megillah's oxymoronic name is Revelation and Concealment. And of course, Megillah's Esther then means to reveal that which is usually concealed. On Purim, we remember that things are not the way they look. You may be sitting next to a physician at your Purim masquerade dinner, and for all you know, he has nothing about medicine because everybody's wearing a costume. Things are, things are not the way they seem to be. And the notion of Purim is, people say, L'chaim, and they drink wine, Nichnas yayin, sod, what's inside now becomes revealed. The whole notion of Purim is to reveal that which is concealed. In the deepest sense, Purim was a time where the Jewish people behaved very sinfully, and then, under the duress of the, of the, of the persecution of Haman, they revealed their true loyalty to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the concept of Megillah is all about revealing. And so I start to think to myself, now we can understand the idea of Poshta Megillah. That the, the concept of the Megillah is we should spread the Megillah out. The Megillah should be open. It's not that you're reading one scene at a time, one paragraph at a time, one detail at a time. Then you miss the point of the Megillah. The point of the Megillah is you have to spread out the entire story. All 12 years of, of the Megillah, because that's how long it takes place over. You spread all 12 years out, and then you see the whole story in an open way and in a revealed way. And maybe this is the meaning of what the Rambam says, Laharos Anes. If you want to see the miracle of Purim, you cannot look at any one chapter. No few sentences, no few verses will tell really an amazing miracle. If you want to see the amazing miracle of Purim, what do you have to look at? The whole picture. So we unfurl, unroll the Megillah. In other words, using body language and demonstrating that the concept of Purim is not simply to roll it along, but rather to open things up. And here it gets really interesting. I remembered that like a year or two ago, I gave a class about the, the notion that certain offerings in the Beit HaMikdash were waved in different directions. And the first time it's mentioned is with the, the inaugural offerings that were brought by Meishu Rabbeinu. And, and then it's talked about in, the, in this week's Torah portion, actually in Parsha Savva, the Thanksgiving offering. But it's really focused on when it comes to the new grain that is offered and the Sphira to Omer that follows. In fact, in fact, the day that you bring that special offering is called Yom Henef, the waving day. And at the time... This perplexed me very much. Why do we make such a big deal about waving? So let me share with you just a quick synopsis of what I found when I was looking into this, what some of the Rishonim say. And you'll see the connection here. So Rebbe Avram ben Arambam, the son of the Rambam, says that in, in Parshas Tetzaveh, what's this business of waving it before God? He says, this is to say that we serve Hashem through making these movements, the movement of moving it in all directions, 
all four directions up and down, is to demonstrate before we begin to bring the actual offering, we physically demonstrate that everything belongs to God. And that, that's a physical act. So it's not just words, it's something we act out. Then later on when we get to Parsha Sav, so I found, very interestingly, that the Ralbag, who is known sometimes as Gersonides, or I believe Ben Gershon, he says this. He says the business of this tenufa, of this waving, up and down and to all directions, is indicative not only that everything belongs to God, but it's indicative of hashgacha pratis, the notion that God's eyes, quote-unquote, are everywhere. He says it means that Shahashem Yisala Einov Mishotatos Lamailo Lamato Laarba Pinasailam in modern terminology, you in, in, in literally it means God's eyes are everywhere. In modern terminology, smile your uncandid camera. Everything is being recorded. Hashem sees everything. And that's why you're bringing him this carbon. In other words, this is a Thanksgiving offering. You're thanking Hashem. You made it across a transoceanic voyage. Now you thank Hashem. That was a miracle. You got across the desert. That was a miracle. You escaped incarceration unscathed. You're still whole. That was a miracle. You were threatened with a deathly illness and now you've recovered. Everything comes from Hashem. So he says, before you bring the offering, we're waving it around, not only to say that everything belongs to Hashem, but we act out the notion that we believe that everything that happens is with Hashgacha Pratis. And then if you go forward to Parsha's Emmer, we have a, a Zohar in the Parsha, which says that the word Tanufa means tenupe, to give expression. And Rebbeinu Yoel, is one of the early Rishonim, he says it means tenupe lahodot lahalel, that you should give ear or express your joy, your jubilation, acknowledge your thanksgiving. But we're not saying anything here. Over here, we're not speaking with our mouth. Over here, we're speaking with our body language. In other words, there's this notion that not only do we say things, but we act them out. And that's a biblical notion. That's how the karbanoti offerings were brought. And the offering, in order for it to be brought in an effective and meaningful way, we had to physically do something first to demonstrate what this offering meant to us. So I start to think to myself, maybe this is what's going on here. It's one thing for us to say that on Purim, everything became an open book. And on Purim, we get to see the entire panorama of the story. You see how 12 years, which seems to be happenstance and unrelated, ultimately is all leading in a certain direction. But really and truly, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to demonstrate it. When before we start to read the Megillah, everybody shall knows that the Balkor is busy spreading the Megillah out. And that's why it has to be done only B'tzibur. Because the notion of reading the Megillah in a public fashion, which ideally is done in a minion, but more ideally it says, you should go to a large shulter of the Megillah. Why? Berov Am Hadras Melech. If there's many people, if there are multitudes, that's the glory of the king. And the idea that's attached to this is a similar terminology that's used on Hanukkah. It's called Parsume Nisa, the publicization of the miracle. You want to publicize what happened. So if you read the story quietly with a few people, that's not really a public expression of the halal, of the thanks that is the Megillah. But if there's a large crowd and everybody comes out together, then it's memorable. Even the children remember, they have memories of going to Shul and here in the Megillah. People remember that there was, it, it creates an annual, it's an annual event. People come in their costumes and there's a crowd there and it's noisy and everybody's trying to listen to the Megillah. It becomes 
a whole, as they say, a, 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 a ganze Geschichte, a ganze Megillah, a whole story. So this idea is called Persume Nisa. That's the way we publicize the miracle. So not only do we publicize the miracle by reading the Megillah in a very public way, we publicize the concept of the, of the miracle by making sure before we read the Megillah, we first open the Megillah. We demonstrate that the entire Megillah has to be open. There's a discussion in the Paschim how much you should open it. And they say you have to be careful not to let it fall off the table. It shouldn't be disrespectful of Scripture. In other words, people got really excited about this business. They were like opening the Megillah all over the place. Okay, just like fold it up nicely, but keep it open. So when you're opening the Megillah, you're making a very, very bold statement that we are now about to hear the story of the Megillah, which is emblematic of the notion that all the different things come together to tell the story of Hashem's providence and Hashem's miracles and salvation for Am Yisrael. So very interestingly, the Rebbe in that, in that um, Sefer Amin Hagim, he says, so seems to be, from, for the most part, this is about the Balkora. Why are there individuals doing this? And he suggests the following. He says that since there's an emphasis on everybody having a kosher Megillah, and the reason there's an emphasis on everybody having a kosher Megillah is because if you miss a few words, like the Eish Lavram says, the Prima Gadim, then you can look inside your own Megillah and read those few words. Even if you miss a sentence, you can still read the sentence. In other words, inasmuch as we attribute tremendous importance to a public reading, the insurance is that in case you miss the public reading, you still have at least a private reading. So from this perspective, the Rebbe suggests, it makes sense to say not only should we read it but we should also individually act it out. And there is one instance where we don't rely on the Balkora, but we ourselves perform this particular detail of the reading. And that's when it comes to the ten sons of Haman, who were all killed miraculously in the same breath. It's like almost impossible. They should all be strung up and all be killed exactly at the same moment. So that's why we read all ten names of Haman in one breath. And the Raghat Shavar Gohan says, your Balkora can read the story for you, but he can't take a breath for you. So the notion of reading it in one breath, which makes us realize and appreciate this miracle, that you have to do on your own. So just like you have to read the ten sons of Haman on your own, it makes sense that everybody who has a Megillah should actually unfold the Megillah on his own. Because unfolding the Megillah is the way you act out the story that's being told from its pages. And so, what seems to be, on the surface, something that makes no sense whatsoever, but we're opening this Megillah, is actually part of the story. There was a, a communications expert who told me that as something as much as 85% of your message is not the words or even the tone of your voice, but rather facial expression and body language. And he says people don't realize it, but with their body language, Unwillingly often, we communicate and speak volumes. And here, the fact that we're specifically following a particular body language, we're doing something, we're acting out the Megillah, we're by opening it wide, by showing that there are no secrets, that this Megillah has to be spread, and this is why the, the halacha, as we do it, the custom is, prior, before the Megillah begins to be read. When you look at it from this perspective, it makes perfect sense. And this, my dear friends, I think is what the story of the open Megillah 
is all about. So we can say the same about the Haggadah. You can say the same about a Haggadah. I'm not sure how you could say the same about the Haggadah. The Haggadah's miracles are extremely open. You don't need anybody to connect any dots. When you have tens of thousands of millions of frogs coming out of a river that turned to blood last week, you don't have to connect dots to see a miracle. The miracles of Pesach were very overt miracles, very open miracles. If you mean to say that on Pesach we act out our freedom, you're, you're absolutely right. And in fact, the Rambam, since we're talking about Pesach, he says, the Mishnah, the Gemara says, In every generation, a person has to see himself. The Rambam modifies that. And he says, He has to demonstrate it, act it out. So that's a good point, because it seems the same way the Rambam says, you have to act it out at the Seder, and that's by using opulent things on the Seder, and we use everything with riches and everything with, in a lavish and luxurious way. We're acting it out, acting out the freedom. The Rambam is the same one who says that, Why? Because we're demonstrating the miracle. This is the Rambam's idea. We're demonstrating the miracle. And this, now, now it makes sense to say why we emphasize the concept of, of, of um, demonstrating the miracle by, by opening it that way. I'm missing a safer here. Okay, the Mazavitri I'm going to leave for now. I had the Mamaloys here somewhere. All right, I can't find it. So one, one very interesting thing that I found from the Mamaloys is at the end of the Megillah, it talks about the, the history. What happened? The last, the 10th chapter, very short little chapter. So it says over there, that the story was also written by Ahasuerus, but the story it doesn't say it was written in the books, it says Al, on the books. And the Mamlo is there, and he doesn't quote a source, he says it's almost as if he wrote the story on the cover of the book. And he says because Ahasuerus knew that if the story is buried in the scroll, it can easily remain buried there, as did the story of Mordechai's saving Ahasuerus' life, from the threat of Big Son and Seresh. So he said, I want this to be on the outside. Not inside in a scroll where it can be lost in the roll, but it should be outside in an overt way. And so this kind of, for me, finished, completed the electromagnet where we have this emphasis on showing it in an overt way when the end of the Megillah, there is actually this emphasis that, the, that it has to be done in an overt way. Even Ahasuerus understood that it shouldn't be hidden away in a scroll, but it should be in an obvious that, in a way for everybody to see. Incidentally, this notion of everybody uh, folding the Megillah, it's not necessarily a, a Chabad custom per se. It's brought down as the Minhagim of London of, of the Middle Ages, Amsterdam, Germany, and many, many people that the Minhagis that the individuals in the shul who have their own Megillah will also open the Megillah as part of the reading, as part of the thanking Hashem, and as part of the reliving the miracle of Purim. And on that note, may we see open and revealed miracles in our life. Amen. What's the relationship, not really the relationship, when you read the trials, when I think there was 10 people got 10 the relationship of the Nuremberg trials is like yeah. this. Yeah. It, says, it says in the Megillah that the Megillah is written, it's, 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 it's scripture, right? So the Megillah, like the rest of scripture, has large letters, uh, medium letters, and tiny letters. So the large letters show up in a few places, and they have messages. But there's three small letters that are, there's a tradition, the names of Haman's children are spelled out, which we don't have a tradition attached to it. We don't know why. And the three letters are Tuf, Shin, Zion. Which are, which is 1946, 1947, 
right before 1947. The Hebrew year was Tavshin Zion. And even, uh, Tavshin Vav, sorry, not Tavshin Vav, 1946. And even more amazingly, Esther says that if we may, we ask for one more day to kill the sons of Haman. But the sons of Haman were dead already. So people have noted that there seems to be another day, so to speak. And the other day, we say, is in the distant future. In the end, of the Nuremberg trials, there were 11 Nazis who were sentenced to be hung. Everybody else went to the firing squad. 11 Nazis were sentenced to be hung. Hermann Göring committed suicide in his cell the night before the hanging. And so 10 Nazis were hung at once. And Julius Streicher, when he was taken out, he was the last one to be taken out, he screamed out. They expected him to scream something like Heil Hitler. He screamed out, Purim Spiel, 1946. That was his last words. He says, now I go to my God. Now I go to my God. Purim Spiel, 1946. So that's the allusion that we see in the Megillah of Haman's children, his demonic children of the future, and how there was exactly 10 that were hung. So I can't tell you whether that is or isn't accurate, but it's certainly compelling. That's not part of this class. I have one more question. Yeah. 